Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hello and welcome to Extra Time, a web-only sports program by Radio New Zealand Sport. I'm Joe Porter. In the program this week, we wrap up the Cricket World Cup, the Black Caps' captivating campaign and that bitter final defeat to Australia. We discuss the retirements and careers of a couple of senior Black Caps players as we usher in what a former star calls the next golden age of New Zealand cricket. We catch up with All Black second five Ma'anonu as he prepares for a super rugby milestone with the unbeaten and table-topping Hurricanes. And we speak to heartbroken Olympic silver medalist Sarah Walker whose return to BMX racing from serious injury has been postponed due to a bruise ruling her out of this weekend's national champs. New Zealand cricket has confirmed the Black Caps will play all the top test playing nations in New Zealand in the next eight years as they ride the side's success over the last 12 months. Following their runners-up finish at the One Day World Cup and their record-breaking success of 2014, the Black Caps have garnered an ever-growing fan base drawn in by their impressive performances and their sportsmanship. The outgoing bowling coach Shane Bond believes the Black Caps are at the beginning of what could be the next golden age of New Zealand cricket. Paceman Tim Southey and Trent Bolt have been described as New Zealand's best ever new ball bowling combination, while talismanic captain Brendan McCullum was named the World Cup's best player by a host of international media. Martin Guptill was the tournament's leading run scorer and five New Zealanders were included in the ICC's official World Cup 11. Bond says the Black Caps are yet to reach their peak. This is probably the beginning, not the end of, um, of the progress of the team. Most of the bowlers are 28 and under, so you'd expect the, all of them to be together for the next World Cup in England. So I'm hoping it's going to be, as they talk about the 80s, this is the next golden age of New Zealand cricket and across all formats. And um, it's great to see cricket so popular again. And yeah, I'm just looking forward to, like all cricket fans, watching the team continue their progress. Bond has been replaced by former England international Dimitri Mascarenas as the Black Caps bowling coach, who has lost the services of veteran spinner Dan Vittori and paceman Kyle Mills, who've both retired. Vittori had indicated for some time that the World Cup was going to be the end of his playing career. I spoke to our cricket reporter Stephen Hewson about Vittori's retirement. He's the most successful New Zealand spin bowler that we've seen for in international cricket. I mean, remember he came on the scene as an 18-year-old, he's now 36, so he's spent half his life on the cricket field for New Zealand. Um, I mean, the last couple of years have been a bit, bit rough for him because he hasn't seen a, a lot of game time. Um, he took 362 wickets in the test matches that he played. Of course, he was the most capped um, New Zealand test player, or is the most capped New Zealand test player of all time, and the most capped uh, one-day player. I think he took, uh, what, 305 wickets in ODI matches. So, I mean, it's quite an achievement, and in a sense... Uh, I mean, you mentioned there, obviously, we saw, saw the retirement coming. Um, he battled back from back injuries, from Achilles problems, simply to get into this World Cup. But New Zealand cricket's been coping pretty well without him for the last couple of years. I mean, so his retirement and his departure is maybe not going to have the impact that it might have done if he had departed or decided to retire, you know, in his early 30s. Um, because we've seen on the test scene, Ish Sodi and Mark Craig have come along and performed credibly. 
um, bowling-wise on, on the one-day stage. I mean, Nathan McCullum has been doing a, a pretty good job, and I suppose he was pretty unlucky not to see any game time during the World Cup. But, I mean, Vittori certainly added a huge amount to that New Zealand side during the, the World Cup, simply from his experience. I mean, think about how he bowled, uh, slowed the scoring rate down in that pool game against Australia and was crucial in turning things around there. And then the, his batting in that semi-final win uh, over South Africa when he was in the crease at the end there with the, with Grant Elliott that, that got them to, through to the grand final. So he's been a, a true campaigner for um, New Zealand cricket and uh, the most successful spin bowler of all time. And uh, he, he's not completely lost to cricket in the sense he's off to the IPL, so we might, might see a bit of him there, but he's sort of coaching as, in, in that uh, area as now possibly his immediate future. You're right, actually. It's just been announced Vittori will coach the Brisbane Heat in Australia's Big Bash 2020 league this year. Well, he actually became more of a successful one-day player in more recent times, though, I guess. Talk about his style and what made him so successful. Yeah, well, I mean, certainly in um, the last sort of half dozen or so years, he wasn't the attacking bowler that he used to be on the on the test scene. Uh, he came became much more of a container, and he was never a, a big turner of the ball, but what he did have was variation in pace and, and flight, and, and that was his key. He was able to sort of bowl a quicker ball. He had a good arm ball as well, um, and, and so he was very effective without sort of being I suppose a, a, a big turner of the ball more of a he was a, certainly a finger spinner not a, not a wrist spinner um, but it was all those subtleties that he offered and I suppose ex- that he gained over his uh, time on the international stage and uh, just just you know how effective he was. Vittori was a regular selection in New Zealand sides you've mentioned a couple of names there but where are we now as the next spinner? I, I think that's sort of a, a, a well, there's a bit of a race is on at that for that at the moment. I mean, maybe Mark Craig has got the edge over Ish Sodi at the moment. Um, again, he's maybe the kind of guy that doesn't turn the ball as much. He's an older guy. He's come into the New Zealand team sort of late in his late 20s. Uh, I mean, there's no immediate, I suppose, heir apparent to the, being a first-choice spinner in the sense that Dan Vittori was. Uh, but you've got someone like Craig there with experience. You've got a, Ish Sodi who's... Um, a young in his early twenties, so he's certainly got time to develop. Uh, Nathan McCullum is is certainly uh, closer to retirement than he is to to starting his international career. I mean, he's mid thirties, but I think he's got a couple of years left in him yet. Um, certainly, just sort of specialising that one day area. So, rather than having anybody, I suppose per se that fits or simply fills the boots of, of Dan Vittori, there's a few few options available to selectors, and, and maybe sort of more depth. Uh, than when Daniel Vittori was sort of in his prime. Someone else of a similar vintage is pace bowler Mills, who has also decided to retire from all cricket. Yeah, I mean, that was also on the wall, I suppose. Again, uh, he he was someone who never saw game time at this Cricket World Cup. I think the last uh, one-day international he played was against Pakistan and Wellington in January. Um, he played 19 tests and 170 one-day internationals, so he was certainly a one-day specialist. Um, and... He was yeah, been a great servant of New Zealand cricket, but sort of times passed for him because you've got a, uh, a quite a, a battery of young fast bowlers coming up. I don't think he would have uh, made the squad to go to England, which is sort of next, uh, and which will be announced the next week or so. So he's he would have struggled there, and, and who, who, you know maybe got the word that that was the case, and he was sort of given the opportunity to to announce his retirement. Uh, Maybe a little unfortunate. He might he might think that he didn't see any game time at the World Cup. You think uh, when Adam Milne um, came out injured and they brought Matt Henry in from outside the squad, 
to play in that semi-final and, and the final. But uh, he at one stage reached uh, was ranked the world's top one-day bowler. I mean, that was going back to 2009. But, yeah, been a great servant of New Zealand cricket, took 240 wickets, and, uh, again, an experienced campaigner and obviously lo- still offered a lot for the squad during that World Cup time. So, uh, I mean, it's simply time moving on. But, uh, yeah, the, the, much needs to be made, too, I suppose, of, of the service that he's provided for New Zealand cricket. Radio New Zealand's cricket reporter Stephen Hewson. Last Sunday's final defeat to Australia was a tough end to a remarkable and history-making World Cup campaign for the Black Caps, though Captain Brendan McCullum conceded the team was outplayed. But he told reporters in Melbourne he didn't give up hope that New Zealand could turn things around and take the win, even after they were dismissed for 183. Uh, somewhat disappointing, but at the same time, I think um, Australia played better. Um, you know, it came down to one game. We gave ourselves that opportunity in this tournament. Um, with so much on the line and, and ultimately Australia stepped up and, and they were too good for us on the night. Look, it's, uh, it's a credit to them that they were able to do so on a big occasion. I'm really proud of the guys. I thought the way that we played throughout this tournament, the brand of cricket that we've played, the way that we've entertained people and, and I guess left nothing out there in, in terms of uh, character and attitude on the field, you know, I think it's been one hell of a ride and something that, uh, that we'll remember for the rest of our lives and it would have been great to have got the silverware but it wasn't to be, but I think what we're able to achieve in this tournament will, uh, will last for a long time. And uh, the friendships we created, the experiences we've, that we've had, and, uh, and I guess the people that we've been able to inspire throughout the tournament is something that we're really proud of. And it's never nice running second, but sometimes you've got to doff your cap to the winner. You win games, you lose games, but I'm wondering if you can give a sense of how much it rankles with you or irks you or disappoints you that the way the game played out tonight that you couldn't really get close enough. And, and history books, I guess, will show that it was a pretty convincing win for Australia. Does that, does that kind of add to it a little bit, add to the disappointment? And secondly, did Australia surprise you at how hard they came out at you right from the off? Well, it doesn't rank for me because I think they were too good. And I think you've got to sometimes acknowledge when a team is better than, than what you were on the day. Um, hey, if we play them tomorrow, who knows what the result may be. But on the occasion, on the day... They stepped up and they delivered. I thought they obviously put us under early pressure, took three early wickets against us, and then we regathered. We gave ourselves an opportunity at three for 150, and then they came again at us. And all credit to them to be able to grab those key moments. I talked a lot in the lead-up to the game that I thought the game would be determined by how people step up or which team stepped up in those key moments, and Australia did so today. So, you know, I think on the scoreboard it does look convincing and it was a convincing win, in all honesty. Um, there was times throughout the game that I still felt as if we were in it. Even 183 on the board, um, I still felt that we were still a chance in this game. And whether that's my eternal optimism or um, you know, there's some realism as well about the wicket and the fact that runs are on the board. Three for, oh, what were they, two for 60? You know, there's a couple of things which may have gone our way if we were able to get one, one or two more then the game may have panned out differently, but it didn't. And, uh, and all credit to Australia for the way that they were able to deliver on the biggest stage and the biggest occasion and, and uh, at the key moments. So, you know, we'll take some lessons out of that, but, you know, sometimes you just got to admit that you ran second in the race and fair play to, to Australia for all their hard work and their success in, in key moments. Was there a pivotal moment for you in the game? I think there was a pivotal moment, I think, the power play when... Obviously, Ross and Grant had formed a, a really good partnership out there and got us back in the game. Um, 150 for three after 35 overs. Most times in this team would firmly believe that we were capable of 270, 280, if not more. I guess a little bit unlucky for Roscoe to get out the way he did. And then we saw Australia really, um, I guess, bear its teeth and, 
and put the hammer down on us. So, um, you know, that was probably the pivotal stage. I thought we were able to, if we were able to uh, get through three or four overs at a decent strike rate, we wouldn't have been able to launch later on with our bigger hitters coming in with a bit of freedom. But we can hold our heads up really high. I think we've had some tremendous support from back home and from around the world. But, um, you know, we came up here today, 93,000 people, a lot of Kiwis travelled over. We felt divide from back home. The support's been outstanding. Um, the guys have been forever grateful of it. And, uh, and I guess we'll move on to the next stage in our cricket careers and our lives, but this is something we'll never, ever forget. And um, you know, it's been a really proud time to be a New Zealander, even though we ran second. Any regrets, anything you'd change today, or is that just cricket? I think it's just cricket. Um, you know, there's a couple of things if, at defining moments if things had panned out differently, but that's the game. It's the game that we play. There's, got to, there's a winner and then there's got to be a loser, and I guess that's why the game was created. And I guess, you know... Ultimately, you can't have any regrets in this game. You go out there, you try and play as well as what you possibly can, and if a team's better than you on your day, then you cop it sweet, and uh, you let them enjoy the celebrations. Just uh, popping a question about uh, players on the side. Yesterday, Michael Clark uh, retired from uh, the short-form game. What about retirements within your side? Rumours that there are players going to retire and that you may well be following in Michael Clark's footsteps, giving up one-day cricket to do uh, just test cricket. Can you confirm or deny those rumours? Um, well, I think, firstly, Michael Clark, he, he's been an outstanding cricketer for Australia. His, I think his captaincy has been brilliant throughout his, uh, his, his tenure. Um, he deserves to bow out a World Cup winner. And, um, you know, sometimes there is a, a bit of romance in this game. And I think that was one of those occasions tonight. And so congratulations to Michael. And, you know, he thoroughly deserves um, the achievement that he's had. Brendan McCallum, the New Zealand batsman Ross Taylor, who made 40 runs as part of a 111-run partnership with Grant Elliott, was bitterly disappointed by the final result. Stephen Hewson spoke to Taylor at the MCG just after the World Cup final had ended. We had high hopes coming into the game. Uh, I think the, the partnership with myself and Grant, I thought we brought ourselves back into the game and, and even anything 250, 260 would have been competitive, I think, on on that wicket, but uh, no, disappointing with the, the way it ended, but uh, I guess it's a time for reflection and, and hopefully, um, you know, we'll let it settle and I'm sure we'll be very proud of what we've achieved over the last uh, six weeks or seven weeks as a team. How tough was it against Stark and Faulkner and, and Johnson? It was one of those wickets where I didn't think they were going to get me out, um, you know, if I played a defensive role. Uh, it was, once the ball got a bit softer, it was actually quite hard to score and it was probably actually a bit of old school cricket and the fact that it started reversing or tailing more so than, than swinging like it has been in New Zealand. But uh, yeah, I mean, it was yeah, one of those things, I guess. Do, do you feel there's a sense that you may not have done yourselves justice given you had that unbeaten run, you beat Australia in the pool play? No, I think we, uh, you know, we wanted to play our best. We were beaten by a better team uh, in Australia and we'll live with that. I, I guess we... We've played some very good cricket over the last little while and we knew what we wanted to do leading into the match and we just weren't able to execute you know, our team uh, blueprint, uh, both with bad and ball. 93,000 people in, that, in the MCG ground. How, what about the atmosphere? Was that different? Had you experienced anything like it before? I think that probably the occasion uh, was probably bigger than the, than the crowd. I think the 93,000. You know, when you add a few tens of thousands more to, it's just a, it's just a number. Uh, but it's something that I'll never forget playing in front of 93,000. You know, it was a great place and I'll, I'll never forget it. But um, it was funny when I was batting with Grant. Grant goes, oh, Eden Park was a lot noisier than this. So, <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, it's it was a very good atmosphere and there was a lot of Kiwis who 
you know, were, were at the ground supporting us and obviously disappointed for all the Kiwis um, that came over and supported us. But, um, you know, hopefully they can, you know, see that we played our best and, and we've just beaten by a better team at the end of the day. What have you talked about in the dressing room? What, what's been the general comment? We haven't said anything. No one's talked anything. It's, it's uh, all our families are in the change room now and uh, I'm sure we'll talk about it a, a bit more, maybe a bit later on, but... Uh, I guess there's not a lot to be said afterwards, but just I guess, I guess to to thank everyone for all their efforts and enjoy a well-earned break for a few. And the guys only have a couple of days off and, and probably head off to IPL and, and different county cricket and whatnot. So um, no, it's been it's been a great campaign, and I'm sh- hopefully we've done the country proud and just weren't good enough at the end of the day. Your future? What's in store for you? I'm just going to have some time with the family and have a bit of a holiday. I've been playing some. Pretty busy cricket at the moment. The body's been pretty sore for for a while, so hopefully you can get over a few niggles and whatnot and um, bring on the, the tour to England. We haven't won over there for, for a while, and hopefully we can create some history there as a test team. Ross Taylor talking to Stephen Hewson in Melbourne. And you're listening to Extra Time, a web-only sports program from Radio New Zealand Sport. The All Blacks' second five, Ma Nonu, will become just the fourth player to play 150 Super Rugby games. Nonu is back at his inspirational best, helping the Hurricanes to an unbeaten start to the season. 114 of those 150 games have been with the Hurricanes. During his time with the Canes from 2003 to 2011, and again this year, he has accumulated 215 points for the team, scoring 43 tries. The 32-year-old joins Kevin Mayalamu, Corey Flynn and Nathan Sharp in the 150 club. Nonu admits the milestone has surprised him a little. I didn't really expect it, um, but yeah, it's come around quick. It wasn't uh, eventually one of my goals, but I think it's crept up. Um, it hasn't been too easy getting 150, but uh, really happy to yeah, get it for the cane. So, what, what do you reckon? The, you know, pretty much been fit most of the time, and you know, lack or anything. Yeah, I, th- I think uh, early stage of my career, I um, was hardly injured. I think I took most of my opportunity and just enjoyed playing rugby. I guess um, career grew on and you make the All Blacks, it's uh, a lot more pressure. So, um, But I'm still here, still playing and, um, yeah, happy. Obviously still like it, loving the game? Still, still enjoy it, yeah. Still love my job and uh, still living the dream. So, And uh, what about doing it this week for the Hurricanes? You know, your, your first team? Yeah, it'll be good. Um, tough match against the Stormers, and you know we know what they bring. And I guess uh, we're just focusing on ourselves, really. So um, good uh, winning on the trot. So don't want to get ahead of ourselves. Seems like the team's defence has really improved this year, and you've been a big part of that. How, how have you kind of helped? Oh, we've got a good defence coach. Uh, his name's John Plumtree. Um, no, he's been great. So um, no, I think. Um, we're just doing it for each other, really. Um, there's more cues in terms of working hard, getting off the ground and uh, getting our shoulders into the bodies. So, um, Tackle stats were all right last week, but I think we were riding the tackle against the Rebels. So another focus is uh, trying to get the guy on the ground faster. Well, how much have you enjoyed this winning start to the season? It's been a while for, for the Hurricanes. smile on my face. <laughs> no, it's been good. Um, I had a good pre-season, pre-season as I've said. And, you know, I'm just enjoying being back home, really, and uh, Wellington's been great. Good to be back with, you know, some of my best mates, and that's been
been good. How important is that for professional players? Is it an underestimated thing to actually be where you want to be? You've obviously had that, had that experience of probably not being exactly where you want to be in Saudi Arabia. How important is that? To oh, I think translate to form and stuff on the field. In terms of being at home where you want to be, that's uh, extra special, I guess. Being a professional, you, you got to go where you got to go. Really, um, and there's a lot of guys that are not from their unions playing for different franchises and they're still going well so the likes of the players that are coming out of the Highlanders um, so um, yeah it's, you play where you want to play but as you say you know you're playing you know look after number one but you want to proceed onto high honours For you though is that like an extra one percenter for you to play in front of your home crowd to be in Wellington it's an extra five percenter eh? yeah. Uh, yeah as I say um, I'm still going at home and it's it's just special it's uh, another milestone you know, under my belt, but I just got to keep trucking, you know. Um, yeah, records are made to be broken, so uh, I'm sure there'll be another back breaking 150 easy in the next few seasons. And you, you've been in a lot of Hurricanes teams, this one's obviously travelling very, very well, but you've been in some very, very talented squads. Where, where does this one sort of feel for you? I know it's early days, you haven't achieved anything, I guess, really, but. Is this one of the more talented rosters that you've seen for a while? Yeah, I, I think every team from the Hurricanes has been special. Um, but it's just different eras, really. You know, I played with the likes of, you know, Tana and Christian, you know, early 2000s. Um, a lot of these guys saw those guys as heroes when they were in college and they're, they're playing now. So, um, you know, it's always special playing for the Canes. And uh, year by year, you just get judged on how you're progressing, really. So I think uh, we're going well this season. But still early days. What did you just mention before that when you arrived in, in pre-season camp you took all the young guys out for a coffee or something and showed them the sights and sounds of Wellington? Is that something that... Yeah, I, I, I shouted all the boys. You know, um, I've, I've got three kids but they still make me pay for all the coffees and that but uh, the likes of uh, Spruce Goose down the road, they uh, give us a discount so if they keep that going uh, we'll, we'll go there every day. Um, yeah, I'll hopefully be there tomorrow. You've talked about defence but can you put your finger on perhaps... Some, some, something else that's helped uh, the Hurricanes this year to where they are? I couldn't point out any obvious reason why uh, we're going so well, but yeah, as I said, John Plumtree's the reason why we're going well. No, just a word on Mickey um, Milner Scudder. The Hurricanes always seem to produce um, outstanding backs, and he just seems to be another one off the factory line, I guess. Oh, yeah, he's not too bad. I wouldn't um, blow a track up his, his behind because uh, he's still got early days. Um, as you said, one thing in the squad, it's uh, we, we we play together. There's no individuals in the side, so he's tracking all right. Um, but you know, we try and just stay above water, really, not blow each other's horns. Apart from taking them out for breakfast, um, how do you help these young guys as one of the experienced guys in the side? Oh, I think enjoyment is probably a big factor. You know, there's a lot of pressure on the young guys coming through, and oh, you got to be like this guy, you got to be like this guy. It's you got to be yourself, really. And I think you know, being around the traps. You're going to enjoy what you do, but at the same time work hard, push these young guys, and um, you know it's good to be a part of it. Got a good view of the forward pack. What are you seeing from them this year? Forward pack's been outstanding. Um, they've worked hard, and um, you know we expect nothing less. So as long as the backs accommodate them. Ma Nonu.
A minor injury has ruled the Olympic silver medalist Sarah Walker out of this weekend's BMX National Championships in Christchurch, her first competition back from serious injury as she chases her dream of Rio 2016 Olympic gold. Walker was hoping to make her return to racing after recovering from a concussion and six broken bones, including both her arms, in a crash in the final round of the UCI Supercross World Cup in California in September. Walker says she's been in career-best form and training since returning to practice and is confident she can challenge for gold at next year's Rio Olympics. Frustratingly, the 26-year-old bruised her knee at the Crankworks International Mountain Bike Event in Rotorua last week and has been advised not to ride at the National Champs in Christchurch. I spoke to Walker, who has won 12 New Zealand titles but has missed the last three national championships due to scheduling conflicts, and she says being ruled out by such a minor injury is tough. Yeah, it's really frustrating. Like I, I, I haven't raced nationals in three years um, due to conflicts of um, World Cups being on the same weekend and stuff so um, it would be really cool to race nationals and be kind of here uh, performing for other for the other Kiwis and um, yeah so it's a bit frustrating like it doesn't nothing's riding on it as such um, with a big picture with Rio um, it would just be more yeah something cool to do so it's, yeah it's frustrating. When was the last time you won a national title? Uh, four years ago, so <laughs> I, I, I was actually like I wasn't I wasn't sure how I was going to go just before I bruised my knee, but um, like I was fairly confident. Like testing is going really really well back home in Cambridge. Um, some of the testing I've done has equaled my best ever. Um, I felt so comfortable and confident on my bike, and things were tracking really really well leading into nationals. Um, Obviously, we'll keep tracking really, really well towards heading overseas again. But, yeah, a bit of a bit frustrating. So, like, I think hopefully I can ride Friday, but um, we'll see how, how good that riding will be. <laughs> oh, it's such a bummer. It would have been nice to nick that national title back going into the yep. season. <laughs> for sure, for sure. Oh, well, like you say, though, bigger picture, it's it's no big deal heading towards Rio, and you must be further encouraged despite this little setback with, like you say, your times and your testings have been have been at such a high level that heading towards 2016 in Rio, you must be, you know, it must have given you a boost in confidence knowing that you are definitely on the right track and could perhaps still have a little bit left in the tank in terms of room for improvement. Yeah, well, I think, like, given such a short time back in training to be essentially as good as I've ever been um, is really exciting, and I know that I'm just going to keep getting better over the next three months before we head overseas, or before I head overseas. Um, the rest of the team leaves on Monday to go to the first two World Cups. Um, so it's pretty, yeah, I'm I'm really excited. And it's quite frustrating out of all the injuries I've had that I might miss nationals from a bruised knee. <laughs> it's kind of a bit, uh, yeah, annoying and uh, a little bit ironic or, yeah, a bit funny. Definitely. How do you think the New Zealand BMX team is looking heading towards Rio as compared to perhaps the last time around in London? What's the uh, what's the team looking like? Are they looking like they'll be stronger than London? Yeah, I think so. The the guys have definitely um, stepped up their game. It's a lot more depth. So we've probably got five guys that can make it to the Olympics. There's a maximum of three spots for the men uh, from any country, but it looks like we're probably aiming for two. And there's five guys that could be there, so it's going to be very, very cutthroat for the men's side in every race, um, starting from the World Cup in a couple of weeks in Manchester, right through this year and next year. 
is going to be so important for them to be the one to be chosen for the Olympics. So, yeah, it, it'll be interesting over the next few months just to see how that starts playing out. At this weekend's national champs, are there any youngsters that perhaps we should keep an ear or an eye out for that you know of? Um, more so in the girls. Um, so the girls' class has been amalgamated. So the junior women and the elite women are racing together. Um, so we've got a few junior women coming through that are looking really, really good. Um, Rebecca Petch is probably the one to look out for in the junior women. Um, she could possibly take out the weekend and beat all the elite women uh, if she has a good good couple of days racing. Um, so that'll be interesting. Uh, however, the national title, even if we're racing together, still goes. She'll still get the junior elite title and whoever is the best finishing elite woman will win the elite women's title. So, yeah, it'll be, it'll be interesting to see if she can step up and, and take the win in front of all the elite girls. Uh, it'll be very interesting. I'll keep an eye out for her. Sarah Walker. The Olympic qualifying stages begin later this year. And that's the show for this week. Feedback is welcome via sport at radionz.co.nz or on Twitter at RNZ Sport. We'll be back with the next Extra Time show next week. I'm Joe Porter. Bye for now. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.